You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 40 of our show where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and more. We're recording on Thursday, October 29, 2015. I'd like to introduce one of our sponsors, TopTal. Finding and hiring talented developers is really hard, but TopTal makes it easy. TopTal is a large network of only the top 3% of software developers in the world, which means they've already found you the best possible developers to work with. TopTal's team of engineers meets with you to understand your needs and handpicks just a few of the developers from their network for you according to your needs. They've been so successful with this that they offer a no-risk trial period for all engagements. If you're not satisfied, you don't pay. Go to toptal.com podcast today to start working with the top-tier developers at TopTal. Podcast listeners will receive one week of TopTal development credit in addition to a no-risk trial period of up to two weeks. Again, that's T-O-P-T-A-L dot com slash podcast now to sign up. With me, I've got our ever-ready manager-in-chief, Neil Hughes. Neil, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. My title changes every week, but I'm all right. Are, are you not the managing editor-in-chief? I am the managing the editor. Uh, yes. I don't, you can call me whatever you want. I don't really care. Managing editor, Neil Hughes. I, it's a title. It's fine. I'm here. I'm employed, and I'm ready to podcast. And we've got Hot Pocket Rocket Mikey Campbell. Right, Mikey? <laughs> it was a Jimmy Dean sandwich, and <laughs> yes, I'm here. Awesome. So we had this huge Apple earnings call this week. What, what's the news? Is this amazing or what? Uh, the news is that Apple once again uh, grew. The largest company on planet Earth grew another 20-some-odd percent, $51 billion in sales, uh, sold 48 million iPhones, set a record, 5.7 million Macs. Uh, and Wall Street didn't – I mean, I guess the stock didn't go – it went up a little bit, but – you know, they they were recording Thursday. They topped 120 today. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a weird game that they play there, and I don't really understand it. But uh, basically, another record quarter, and the largest company on the planet continues to grow, which is pretty incredible. One I, of the things. Oh, yeah, sorry, no, I heard. Uh, I think someone tweeted out. They uh, did the calculations. I think they said um, that Apple's growth. This quarter outperformed uh, all or what ninety percent of the Fortune five hundred companies. I think their actual revenues. So there's that. Right, and they were able to buy back stock and still have two hundred six billion in the bank. <laughs> they bought back uh, another fourteen billion between their dividend and payout and their. Uh, uh, buyback program. Uh, they're they're investing in themselves with their cash, you know. And it's just silly season on Wall Street a lot. I heard one commentator on CNBC the other day say he he didn't like uh, that Apple has so much cash, and that was a reason to not buy into the stock. You know, I mean. Unless I'm sorry, I'm stunned. I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, like, unless you're taking your cash and putting it under the mattress or burying it in the backyard, you know, where it could be stolen. Uh, in any other situation, I think having cash is a good is a good problem to have. Let alone having 206 billion of it. I mean, they have they have uh, more than 30 percent of their market cap in cash. 
where where should their cash be according to this guy? What what should be done with it instead? Everybody wants to see like a big purchase. They want them to come in and like buy Tesla or some crap like that. They you know they want them to spend like half of it on some like mega merger or something. Uh, you know, it, like you look at a company like Microsoft or Facebook where they come in and they make these major acquisitions like Skype and Nokia and, and WhatsApp and all that. And people want to see Apple do that, but that's just not the way that Apple does business, and it's not going to change. So I don't, I don't so, understand. I, you know, you can't please Wall Street. I'm, I'm scratching my head here. I'm thinking back historically. You know, go, go back to '97, 1998, when when Apple was very cash poor. Right? They had three months worth of covering payroll in the bank, and then they were done. Right? You know, we we, we hear the old reference to. Apple having been perpetually dying, but if there was ever a time Apple was actually dying, it was '97. Yes, and it, I look at this and I think that that having this much in the bank in cash and liquid liquidity is a result of that. Right, the old time frame was very very scared, very very cash poor. This is we have a war chest and are unassailable. Nothing can harm them. Right. Because they have all the cash, they're able to keep going no matter what happens. Well, let's not forget that like 195 billion of this is overseas too. So uh, they there are some limits as to what they can do with the cash as well. If they wanted to repatriate this cash and put it into something in the U.S., like you know, I don't know what they would do with it. But if they wanted to do something like that, they would have to pay uh, a pretty extraordinary tax rate on it. And this is money that they've already been taxed on for the most part. Um, in selling actual products overseas, as opposed to companies like Google, which pay like a one percent or less international tax rate because they're not selling goods. Right. So let me ask. I mean, if you've got ta- if you've got cash in banks that are not in the U.S., you you can't repatriate it necessarily, but you can certainly well, you use could it to if pay you want to pay things. like thirty percent. Right. But if you want to use it to pay for things like production yeah. in China, you can pay out of your cash reserves from non-U.S. sources. Oh, yeah, but I mean, right? th- th- we're, we're talking about $260 billion dollars here. We're talking about it, It's not money amount. that can't be used. It's just money that can't be necessarily brought be back into the U.S. It would be impossible for Apple to spend all this money. Impossible. I could spend it. <laughs> There's no way that you could, that anyone, any company could really spend this money. It's just, it's, it's just not happening. And their cash isn't going anywhere for a while, but you know, if, if if Apple were to announce that they were going to go private, they're worth what? What is their market cap right now? Right? Uh, let's put it this way: it was at like six hundred fifty billion yesterday. Let me see where it's at now. It's six hundred eighty-seven billion currently uh, is where their their market cap is at. If they were announced they were going to go private, what do you think their that market cap would go to? One point five trillion, right? <laughs> like, what's this company really worth? You know. It's just it's games on Wall Street. If they were trading at the same uh, uh, multiples that a company like Amazon is trading at, I mean, Apple makes more money in one quarter of existence than Amazon has made in the entire corporate history of the company. Well, I mean, wait, they're they're going to start making money soon, okay? It's, it's all about so the potential. Why, why why do you think that? I I don't. I mean, Mike Mikey, do you like your Fire Phone? How's your Fire Phone doing these days, Mikey? Uh, Tim Cook makes more money on a bathroom break than Jeff Bezos has made in his entire existence. True. Right, and there's a mental image I didn't really need, but thank you, Neil. 
<laughs> it's just true. I mean, it, you know, each company, especially these large ones, are graded on their own reality on Wall Street, and that's just the way it is. And Apple is, they want to see a growth story. And Wall Street is getting a growth story, but the expectations are higher. And so now the concern is, oh, maybe they won't grow iPhone sales in December because the 6S isn't as impressive as the 6 was in terms of variation from the previous model. So Tim Cook had to, on the annual call this week, actually come out and say, we are going to sell more iPhones this December quarter than we did last December quarter. Like he had to reassure Wall Street and say, the growth is still going to happen this next quarter. We're pretty confident. So, but I'm glad you brought that up because the uh, one of the other articles we published was about the number of Android switchers that are now iPhone buyers. Right. Right. So the idea is is that uh, on the call, it was revealed that Android switchers accounted for 30 percent of iPhone buyers. Right. That's right. huge. Yeah, and that's just um, how, that's how just do they the know upgrading. that that's the case? Is that just the ones that used the uh, the Apple's migrate from Android to I, iPhone app? I don't think all thirty percent used that to uh, I'm switch. Sure they have I'm their sure they internal yeah. research. And Either stuff that like or that. carrier information sharing. I'm not sure, yeah. uh, but um, I think. Well, I mean, Cook, Cook said a couple times uh, as per growth. He was talking about um, the installed base. A lot of them, as for iPhones, still haven't upgraded yet, and they're maybe you know due for an upgrade in the coming months. So, uh, as for the 6S sales, it should grow uh, because most of them. I mean, the 6S sales didn't count. How how many weeks was it that it was on sale during the quarter? It was a, like a, it like went a on sale with I think or something. No, less than a week left on the quarter. The quarter ended on the twenty sixth, I think. Yeah. So I think and it went on sale what the twenty fourth or something. So it was a very short amount of time. Yeah. So I mean, I think uh, I think there's probably a lot of room for for growth, especially I mean in China and, and Android upgraders. Um, are factoring in as well. So I mean, they have they have a lot of different sources of people jumping on board, not counting the people that are already on board that have yet to upgrade. So with like a ninety-seven percent retention rate or something. I always is very sticky. It's just interesting to me. Why? Well, so if thirty percent of iPhone purchases come from Android switchers. This this feels like bad news for Samsung and bad news for Google. If cost conscious consumers, right, the people that that buy the Android device because they they think an iPhone is expensive, um, are willing to pay the four hundred dollars more for an iPhone. Okay, maybe it's more like two hundred if we're thinking about like what the real cost of the device is, as opposed to the average cost. That's a big deal that that people are willing to put that much more into it. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I mean how- look at Samsung's earnings. I think yeah. you can already see yeah. that that's going on. This is not surprising. We've the writing's been on the wall for the last year since the six came out. Yeah, I mean, Apple's been playing down market for a while now, and with the uh, new Apple, I mean, the the iPhone, you know, perpetual upgrade program, it's uh, it's a, that's a pretty big one too. Once that expands and gets going, I think um, we'll see a lot more switchers. Here, here's one thing that I wonder. Um, 
I was one of those people that was convinced that they would just axe the six and the six plus like they did with the five when the five S came out because they didn't want another sell another phone that looked identical to it. I wonder if they kept that around to. They saw this trend with people from Android switching, and they saw an addressable market at a lower price point with a larger phone, and said, "Hmm, what if we get the six down, and you know, and the six plus down that extra hundred bucks? How much more of Android could we eat away at?" I wonder if that's the strategy there, and they're perfectly content to sell two phones or four phones essentially that look ident- identical to one another. Um, just because it's just going to eat away more Android market share and continue their growth. Would they have had? Would they? You know, the question becomes: Would it have been as successful, or be as successful going forward, if they were to have axed the six and just launched a new six C or something like that? Well, I don't know, but well, I mean, they already have all of the manufacturing in place, right? I mean, the supply chain is there already. If you can add on top of that the six S, then why not? In hindsight, the five C is just a weird phone. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I thought they were just going to stick with the same strategy because I really like the 5C. I like the design of it. I think it looks sharp. Um, and so th- that was part of why I was convinced that they didn't want to sell two phones that looked identical to each other at the same time. And you look at last year's lineup. It's the 6 with the larger screens, the 5S with the metal body and the smaller screens, and the 5C with the plastic body. Right. So it's three 5C, distinct phones. Did, the 5C didn't have Touch ID. And the 5C, therefore, didn't have Apple Pay. Well, that's why I'm saying you kill the 5C, you move the 5S down to free, and then you do what they did in 2013, and you kill the 6, and then put a 6C there. That's what I thought they were going to do. They yeah, but the, but the 6 Plus, I mean, I, I personally know someone who upgraded to from a 4S to a 6 Plus. But not a 6S Plus. But not a 6S Plus. Right. And the reason was expense. I think that's what it is. I think that's why they did it is they looked at the numbers and they said, well, we could build another plastic phone, but if we just drop this one 100 bucks and continue to give people this bigger screen, uh, we will eat away at Android that much more. And they see the damage that they're doing to Samsung and to less to a lesser extent, I suppose, to Google, and they say, let's just keep going for it. And I feel like they're in like full attack mode now. And I think this thirty percent switcher is evidence of that. I think, I think that now that they have this bigger phone and it's it's appealing to those consumers that were leaning toward Android, I think that I think you're seeing the, the uh, plan, uh, a best laid plan, work pretty well in this case. I agree. Now, what about the iPad? Uh, so what was funny is nobody really cares about the iPad uh, anymore, especially on Wall Street, because it's not. It's not growing, and so like we were talking about earlier, all Wall Street cares about is growth. That's all they. That's all they care about. So the iPad dropped another twenty percent or whatever, and they didn't even when they when they did the conference call with analysts. None of the analysts asked about the iPad. And at some point, uh, I wrote an article about this because I just thought it was so funny. Tim Cook kind of stood up and he's like, "Hey, how come nobody's asking about the iPad?" And then he went on to explain that 
it, the iPad plays an instrumental role in attracting new people, not only to the tablet market as their first tablet, but also to the Apple ecosystem, and especially in emerging markets. So one of the stats that uh, Tim Cook threw out was that in China, 40% of those people who bought an iPad had never owned an Apple product before. So for a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with the so-called uh, Apple halo effect. Uh, back in the day, it was people buying iPods were more likely to buy Macs. Then it became people buying iPhones were more likely to buy Macs. Uh, well, now you can just see it with any of Apple's products. People buying iPads might be more likely to buy iPhones, might be more likely to buy Macs, might be more likely to buy anything in the ecosystem because they all tightly tie together. So uh, the other stat that Tim threw out was um, for 68% of iPad buyers in China, it's their first tablet. So people that are new to the tablet market and getting their first tablet are going for iPad. So what he was saying was basically the iPad may not be selling as much as it once was, but it plays in a very important part in bringing new users into the ecosystem, especially in these uh, developing markets. And then after Tim said, how come nobody's asking about the iPad, then nobody asked him... <laughs> about the iPad, <laughs> which was funny. So I just kind of wrote an article just kind of talking about, you know, pretty well uh, accepted reasons why sales might be shrinking, including the fact that it's a longer upgrade cycle. Uh, people buy a phone and upgrade it every two years because they crack it or they just want a newer model and they can get it subsidized by their carrier. People spend $500 on an iPad and it works pretty well three or four years later, like a computer. And so it's more like a PC upgrade cycle where they don't feel a need to upgrade every year. So there's a lot of factors at play, including larger phones. People feel like they don't need tablets maybe anymore. Um, and obviously Apple's hoping to, if not increase uh, sales significantly, at least increase the margins somewhat with the upcoming iPad Pro. But uh, as of last quarter, the Mac hit a new record, 5.7 million units, and was more profitable than the iPad uh, was pulling in more revenue than the iPad. So the Mac is definitely third fiddle now in terms of uh, Apple's business. Or I'm sorry, the iPad is not the Mac. We talked a lot about investing, and Realty Shares is sponsoring the podcast week. You work hard for your money, so you should get a solid return on your investments without doing a lot of work. You should check out Realty Shares at realtyshares.com slash appleinsider. Realty Shares is an online real estate marketplace that lets you invest in a private real estate investment and vetted by investment professionals. You can invest as little as $1,000 in different transactions, diversify your risk, and participate in both short- and long-term investments. To learn more and join thousands of other successful investors, visit realtyshare.com slash appleinsider. So, Neil, you ordered an Apple TV. I has did. It shi- has it shipped? No. <laughs> Thanks for rubbing it in, though. Hey, Mikey, you, you ordered an Apple TV. I did. Has it shipped? I live in Hawaii, so I'm used to this, and no, it hasn't. Neil, you, you, you paid for expedited shipping, right? You paid for overnight. I, yes, I did. Um, when do you expect to actually get it? If the Apple Watch is any indication, about a month after it uh, launches. <laughs> Dang. I mean, no, it says, it says my uh, delivery window is Friday to next Tuesday or something like that. But I have to write a review for this product, presumably. So hopefully Friday so I can work on it over the weekend because otherwise, otherwise I might have a problem. Otherwise, I will well, get very mad at you, Neil. <laughs> very mad. I will be very cross. I will be cross. Or you could just go down to the store, I, buy it, I, and return the one that you get in the mail. Yeah, am I going to get my $20 expedited shipping back? No. 
But this is this is my confession, guys. I I talked for a long while on this podcast about how I was not going to get one, that, that 149 was a way too much more than 99 or 69. You're weak, Victor. You're weak. I, Neil, I'm weak. I'm a weak human being. I'm frail, and I am weak. And I, I, I apologize. I apologize to you guys, and I apologize to our listeners. I am caving. I'm, I am going to buy. Which one? You have to dig just how weak I am, aren't you? Okay. I'm, I'm going to buy the 64 gig, $199. Oh. But are you getting the remote strap? Um, interesting question about the remote strap. I, I hadn't considered that. I was thinking about getting a... Uh, there, Griffin makes a number of cases that I have on all the kids' iPads. I have the Griffin Survivor cases on the iPads, and I have a Griffin Survivor on the wife's iPhone. Uh-huh. And they're making a Griffin Survivor jacket for the remote. Of course they are. And I'm thinking about getting that. Uh, can you buy a second remote for this thing? Yeah, you can, but... How, yeah. much, how much is it? 70, 79? Lots. Oh, lot, wow. more, more than the other Apple TV. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I heard that uh, buying the second one does not necessarily mean that you can play game. You know, like if you're going to buy it for a multiplayer game. It's not two-player games? Yeah, I don't think you can. No, there are, but you can. Yeah, but, okay. I don't think but you can use two But that's why you Apple buy remotes. the game controller, right? You yeah. don't use two remotes. You buy a game controller. It's either remote, game controller, or remote. Really? You can't play with two remotes? I'm not sure. That's what I. That's what some devs were saying, uh, but I'm not really sure about Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's no technical reason for it not to be able to, right? I mean, it's just another Bluetooth device. I guess. But I mean, what's the what's the max number of controllers it can take? Is it only two? I don't know. That's a good question, Neil. How many how many MFI controllers do you have on hand right now? You got I a Logitech. Have... You got a Moga. You got a, a, a Madcats. I I uh, I don't have a Logitech. Okay, so you got a Moga and you got a Madcats because uh-huh. I sent you the Madcats. What yeah. else do you have? That's it. I have those two. Oh. So I guess when I get it, I'll find out how many things I can connect to it at once. But and I was working you know, on getting li- you the Steel Series. Limiting it to two controllers just seems like such an Apple thing to do. Like, it's never really felt like they get games. All their success with games on the iPhone have been just by putting a platform out there and saying "have at it." But everything that they've done, like Game Center, um, yeah, Game and Center is kind of weak. Game controller support. And all that stuff. I mean, it just feels well, like it feels like they don't know what they're, which is crazy, right? I mean, no, they have to be able they, to hire people to know what they're doing. They do some, right? I mean, what do they do? Come in, put, well, metal, right? They they do the core OS stuff and say, here, take advantage of it, right? All the other stuff they do around it, they're clueless about. But it's but, the ecosystem that they mess up, and yes. the ecosystem is a very important part of uh, any sort of gaming experience. You need to be able to have devices that you know are going to work and you need to know how they're going to work and the idea that you can only connect uh, you know a handful of controllers and only one of a type is going to work i mean that just seems like a mistake well let me ask you the quality of games on the apple tv versus the quality of the games on the amazon fire tv which do you think is going to be better i'm i'll pass on to mikey because he's got the fire tv no i don't i returned it you you reviewed it though i reviewed it yet you've at least used it i haven't used the thing yeah well, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I haven't seen the. Uh, I don't have the Apple TV in hand, so I can't really give a proper assessment. I mean, I can't imagine that there's a huge. I can't imagine there's a huge amount of developer support for Amazon's box. Yeah, no, I I, I seriously doubt it. I mean, considering you can f- not port over your 
iOS app, but I mean, it, it's not as hard to uh, Adapting your app, your existing yeah, game app, from a, iOS to the tvOS target is not a big yeah. leap. Plus, I mean, developers will also have that added incentive of having a built-in audience since you can, uh, since your customers can re-download your app on tvOS that you downloaded on iPhone or something. Right, they can let you know that, that oh, you've got our iPhone app. By the way, we're now compatible with tvOS. I'm, I'm going to make a couple of predictions here. I'm going to say that the vast majority of stuff on the Apple TV is going to be junk, just like the vast majority of apps anywhere are junk. Uh, there are going to be a handful of interesting, cool, original, new games for the Apple TV, just by the nature of it being Apple and developers being first to embrace the platform. And the final thing I will say is... It may take a few years, it may only take a few months, but at some point, Apple is going to have to rescind their insane controller policies for this device and allow games that just support complex controllers that are bought as an accessory and allow two remotes to connect and play at once, allow four players at once, that kind of stuff. And I think some of those things are clear that that's going to happen. It's just a matter of which happens first and what it takes to get there. Well, like I have a Wii U, right? And I love the Wii U. Uh, not everybody loves the Wii U because it has this weird proprietary controller that comes with it and you can only use one with the device. So Nintendo, which for many years has placed the emphasis on multiplayer at uh, games in the house and kind of stuff like that, uh, every, you know, not playing online, has this weird thing where there are all these games for the Wii U where one person gets the tablet and everybody else gets a different controller because you can only connect one tablet. And for a lot of the games, it works fine. It's actually really fun, but it's confusing for new players. They don't understand how or why you know why you need all these different controllers. And it seems like Apple's setting themselves up for some sort of weird, frustrating situation like that. But I don't think that they care. I, I don't think that they care that much about the games on this thing. I just feel like it's one of those things that they throw in there like, oh, yeah, it'll play games. Yeah, sure, move on. Well, with the uh, the Fire TV box, the updated one they announced a couple of weeks ago, they uh, they sold it in a couple of different variations, right? They sold it as the Fire TV box, they sold it as the stick, they sold it with the remote, and if you bought the gaming edition of it, you'd think that you'd get the remote and the game controller for your extra money you were adding on top, but no, they just gave you the game controller and said, oh, that's your remote, which was really obnoxious. I had a friend who bought it and ended up returning it to Amazon because... He thought that sucked, and he thought the games all sucked. Well, yes. So now he's looking at the Apple TV. Uh, it's going to take a little while for interesting yeah. stuff to end up on the Apple TV anyhow. Any, yeah. I mean, the Apple Watch did not launch with great apps. The iPad did not launch with great apps. The iPhone did not launch with great apps. It takes time. It's probably going to be like the uh, about a similar curve as the iPad was when it first came out, I feel. Let me ask a different question, and this is also a future prediction speculative question. Uh, We had the last generation of Apple TV for about three years without updates. What do you think the update cycle looks like for the newest Apple TV? Are we going to get a fresh one every year? Are we going to get a fresh one every couple of years? How long is my 200 going to last year? I feel like it... it, I mean, they, they can do with a uh, every other year cycle, I feel, unless something crazy happens in the world of 4K TVs and they suddenly drop down to $500 for some reason. But as it stands now, the hardware is not a limiting factor for them. So I, I mean, they can fix all the problems that the reviewers had with it through... Except for 4K. 
Yeah, no, no. Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, unless 4K yeah. gets... Everyone starts getting 4K TVs, which is... I don't see that happening. The, the only streaming device that supports 4K right now is the Roku, isn't the it? The Roku. Yeah. And who has the bandwidth for it? Uh, I do. No, oh, well, l- lucky you. I, still, <laughs> I mean, I, you can get 4K content on YouTube. You can... They don't have care. some stuff on Netflix. Fine, care. Yeah. I, I just don't care. I don't... Is is there any 4K on Hulu? The, you know, know where the most 4K content is Born. on people's iPhone 6s's. That's where it is right now. <laughs> uh, the, Apple has sold more 4K cameras in the last month than have been sold in the existence of 4K cameras. So there we go. That's the main reason that it's weird that the Apple TV doesn't have 4K because now they have two iMacs that run 4K or up, and they have two iPhone models that shoot 4K video. So the Apple TV should support 4K just by nature of that. The fact that it doesn't is a weird thing. It's a weird decision. And so to answer your question, Victor, how often do they upgrade this thing? I would be inclined to say not that often because I don't, like I was saying about the gaming stuff, I don't. I still don't feel like they're like super invested in this. I just feel like it's, they're kind of half into it, you know? But the fact that they specifically left out pretty obvious things that you have to know are going to be coming in a future model like 4K... Uh, leave the door open for them to update next year. Yeah, I mean, they have to make the next update a compelling one, something that you need to buy. And leaving out a key feature that some people have now, but most don't, I think is a good idea. And plus you cut down on cost, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't... Adding 4K wide distribution right now, and maybe it's not after Thanksgiving. We can see what happens with Black Friday and TV sales. And well, and with the way that iOS and now TVOS work, this isn't going to be like you know a new Xbox coming out every five years or whatever, and all of your games no longer no work. All this software that gets released is going to be compatible with future devices and and previous generation past devices. They can just make them slightly more powerful every year. And it's all built on the same architecture. So I don't think an annual upgrade cycle would piss off that many consumers, honestly. I, I, I think that they could do it. The question just becomes, how much do they care? I mean, look at Siri support. That's one of the big complaints, right, in the reviews for the for the Apple TV, that Siri doesn't work with a lot of stuff. You can't... What was it? You can't search, Mikey? You can't search... Uh, you can't search Apple Music or right. the App Store. Right. you gotta you got to type... With your keep with your controller, that's kind of glaring, isn't it? Exactly. So I look at this and I go, "How much do they care?" I mean, I mean, they they ought to know somebody that has access to that search API. And this this is the thing. Hmm. This is how bad the set top box and TV market is. That when Apple comes in and kind of half asses it, they're still killing everybody. That's what's funny about it. So they've created the platform here, and they'll build on it, and it'll get better. But it, it you know, with 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 a lot of parts of it, it just feels like. It feels like an obvious evolution, but it doesn't feel like a revolution. That's a good way of summarizing that. You, you've really helped me here, Neil, because I'm, I'm now debating. I'm thinking about buying it and returning it within the return time policy or return policy time frame, just to see what it is and see what you're, you're talking about and decide if it's for me. I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be good. I'm excited about apps on my TV. I don't mean to sound like I'm poo-pooing the product here. You, um, you pretty much did. Well, but no. I, All the from, games are terrible. No, the games all aren't terrible. <laughs> there will be interesting games. I mean, it, but 
it's the same thing with any of these new platforms that Apple comes out with. It needs time for developers to kind of take advantage of it, right? So the Apple Watch, the third-party apps on it aren't really very good. They're just not. And that's partially Apple's fault by the way that you interact with the device. It's uh, the fact that in watchOS 1, the apps couldn't be native, and so now it's totally updating. So we talked a little last week about the new RunKeeper app, and I tested it this week, and it worked great. And I ran with just my watch. So things are getting better, and you know we're, what, six months into the product? So it takes time. And so right out of the box, this thing, it's not surprising to me that the reviews say you know it's basically good but not great. Because it does everything that Apple said it would, but it doesn't really, you know, it's obvious stuff. Oh, okay, an app store. Well, we've been waiting for that for a few years, whatever. But once developers start to take advantage of these tools and start to do interesting things with it, that's when the product is really going to start to take off. Think back to the second generation Apple TV. It didn't even ship with AirPlay. They had to wait like four or five months to do a software update to add AirPlay to it. And if you ask me, AirPlay is the most interesting feature on the Apple TV to this day. Yeah. So with an app store now, you install your own stuff, your own games, your own channels, more powerful uh, apps that can do things, picture-in-picture for Major League Baseball, stuff like that. I'm excited. I'm I'm excited for the product. It's just going to take time. Just, you know, set your expectations realistically going into it. Hmm. I don't know, man. I I wanted it to be the be-all and (laughs) end-all. I want it all. I do. I do. So I got to think now. Damn it, Neil. You made me have to think. Sorry. What am I going to do? What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk a little bit about SoftLayer for a moment. SoftLayer has been sponsoring the podcast for several weeks now. You've heard us talk about it. You, uh, you, you know by now how great they are at delivering cloud build for integration. Your business, your applications, your computational workloads are unique, so you deserve cloud resources that meet your specific needs. And SoftLayer is one of the only cloud providers that provisions dedicated servers and virtual servers from a single seamless platform. SoftLayer is an IBM company, and IBM uses SoftLayer as its cloud infrastructure foundation for all of IBM's cloud products and services. All of our listeners have the opportunity to get $500 of cloud infrastructure by visiting softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P. You can get bare metal servers, you can get virtual servers, storage, networking, security services from 24 data centers around the world. Visit softlayer.com slash podcast with a capital P to get started with your $500 off servers, storage, network, and security on a cloud built for integration from Softlayer. Neil, you know, we've, we've talked about this a bunch. We talked about your movie review of, of Steve Jobs, the movie by Aaron Sorkin. And I know you liked it a lot, and I know you defended it a lot, but I, I wasn't sold on it. And now we've seen what the ticket sales are like, right? It was a huge success in its limited release. But what happened when it when it went wide? It didn't have enough explosions. Is, is that why it flopped? I mean, this is a small time... Uh, I mean, this could be adapted very easily to a stage play. This is not a blockbuster. I don't know. People's expectations got out of hand for reasons that I don't really understand. But, you know, it's funny to me that we live in a day and age when people are prognosticating box office returns in movies. Who cares? Like, we've all become such corporate shills that now we're rooting for movies to make more money and stuff. It's it's a very strange place that we live in. I I think you're absolutely right when you said stage play, because Sorkin has has said before that he, he views himself as a screenplay writer for the stage, and it's just a, an act of chance and, and luck that he's doing it for TV and movies. Right. It's the entire structure. It's the same characters recurring in three acts. 
and at different stages of, of a character's life. It's it's perfectly this will be on Broadway in five years, less than that probably. My my thought was that maybe the movie just didn't have enough redemption for the character in the third act, that that it didn't complete the arc and that's why people didn't go or weren't interested in it. I think I think people weren't interested because it's a lot of talking. Got it. These aren't the kind of movies that are like big blockbuster movies. I, well, there was a Sorkin quote because Stephen Levy, who uh, who actually was quoted in the movie, or although they didn't attribute it, attribute it to him actually, uh, was interviewing him about it. And Sorkin said, "We made this as a labor of love. We made it because we wanted to. We opened a limited release and had the largest per screen average of the year." We did that for a week, and our second week went to 60 screens, stronger than anyone expected us to, and we opened on 2,500 screens, and were very strong in urban centers, but nobody else went to see the movie. So they succeeded in in New York, in California, in Chicago, right? They, they succeeded in urban centers, but they didn't succeed on any of the other screens. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it, this, is, this is being seen as a disappointment because they're going to compare it to the social network, which obviously is a lot of parallels to this film, a fictionalized take on a major tech figure contemporary that movie i'm looking right now and box office mojo opened to 22.4 million and went on to make 96 million domestic which is a great number for a movie like that um i i mean i guess i guess people are more interested in that movie than this one i don't know i don't know what it is but the reviews are good there there's a lot of, like I, I i saw uh walt mossberg wrote something about this movie the other day and he was saying that the Steve Jobs movie isn't about the Steve Jobs that he knew. And then he goes on to say, <laughs> then he goes which on to true, say that, well, which is correct, yes, which is correct because he goes on to say that he didn't meet Steve Jobs in the last and first IMAC. And guess when the movie ends with the unveiling of the first IMAC. So yeah, you're right, Walt. It isn't the Steve Jobs that you knew because it has nothing to do with that period of time that you knew him. So Walt is losing his mind. I don't, so no, listen, no. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and defend the accuracy of the movie in any way. I mean, <laughs> there's an entire spoiler alert. There's an entire subplot in the movie where it's basically implied that Steve Jobs created Next with the intention of Apple buying it back. Like he played a long con and he knew that Apple was going to buy it back, which is which such is BS. I mean, nonsense. It's complete nonsense, but it fits the narrative of the film, and that's well, why it was done that way. Historically, you know who was the other contender besides Next to get bought to become the next Mac OS? B OS. Oh, Do you guys God, know this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Jean Louis Gasset and and B OS was the other option. And between, you know, let's see, we can get Jean-Louis or we can get Steve Jobs. It was an easy buy, right? That was that was not a hard decision to make, but that was the choices at the time. People are very offended by the accuracy of this movie, and it's funny to me because I didn't hear any of those complaints about the social network. And I felt like this movie actually portrayed Steve Jobs in a kind of positive light. It kind of gave a warm feeling about the guy, even though he would, could be cold and kind of a jerk. You know, he had his redemption at the end and all that. Again, spoiler alert, but uh, I mean, you come away from the social network thinking that Mark Zuckerberg is like the worst person that's ever existed and that he created Facebook just to attract some girl. I mean, literally, the and social, that, ne- I, the social network ends with true. him on his own website refreshing her profile, checking up on her. Like, you know, and he screws over everybody in the process. Like, Mark Zuckerberg was destroyed by that movie, and it really hurt a lot of his credibility, even though a lot of it was true, a lot of it wasn't true, and wasn't really honest about who he was. But you didn't hear any of those complaints then. I guess nobody likes Mark. Uh, Well, 
I think this is the reason people, Facebook. people are upset about this one because Steve's dead and he died relatively recently. And so it feels like it's too much too soon, I guess. Well, and then there's also a canon of work that's been, you know, that, that's already yeah. chronicled his life. I and mean, people are super interested in him. And before Social Network, who are people not writing books about Zuckerberg? Well, the, the, the Social Network is based on a book of the same title. No, yes, but I mean, it's, they're, they're not the, the, analyzing the his there, business There are not plays. a collection of works that you can fill a bookshelf with about he didn't, Facebook. He didn't have, I mean, he's, he's young, right? I mean, he doesn't have, he didn't go through the trials and tribulations of that Jobs did, which are plentiful, um, to say the least. And, I mean, I don't know, it was kind of like a blank canvas in, in some ways. Whereas Jobs, I mean, people followed his life you know, obsessively in some cases. So, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I don't have a problem with the fictionalization of the movie. Um, I didn't go into it expecting historical accuracy for the same reason that when I watch, you know, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln or something, I'm not expecting a hundred percent historical accuracy. It's Hey, for Lincoln, they used Lincoln's actual wristwatch. <laughs> it's, it's, it is, uh, part of creating a compelling story. Uh, certainly the movie is a lot better than... Uh, I, I should than, say pocket watch, not wristwatch. Right, yeah. <laughs> certainly the movie is a lot better than uh, uh, Walter Isaacson's book, which is a slog to get through. Um, and I feel like it you know, generally captures the spirit of, a, of the character that it's going for. If you don't like the fact that it's fictionalized, don't go see the movie, and plenty of people didn't, so end of story. I mean, yeah. it's not... It's not the, the weird question was, what's the difference between the, the moviegoers in the cities that did go and see it and the moviegoers in the rest of the country that did not? That's that's the interesting dichotomy. Uh, I'll, that it's split along those populations when there's nothing political or, or otherwise about it is is inexplicable. Are, are you talking about flyover states? Is that what we're saying? Yeah. <laughs> I, it, you mean where I live and where, where Dan's from? And Yes. It, you know, different... different Markets. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it would play to packed houses in San Francisco, right? Some people probably don't care about who Steve Jobs was. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I, I, I don't think that it's... It's certainly not the reviews, right? The reviews have been pretty positive. The subject matter seems interesting to us, but look at us. We're on the Apple Insider Podcast. Of course it's interesting to us. You nerd. Yeah. I, I, I think that really it doesn't come down to... You know, you can try to dice it however you want the marketing the structure of the film whatever didn't connect with audiences but at the end of the day people weren't interested in the subject matter i don't know why that is let's talk about something that i'm really interested in i'm really interested in the apple car project the project titan that we've been covering for a while and you know last time we talked about this we talked about the the back and forth between elon musk tesla and apple and the the hiring back and forth this this time there's something new that's hinting at, at this project. What, what is it, Mikey? What's going on here? Uh, yeah, so Apple um, hired uh, Recode, found that uh, Apple hired NVIDIA's director of AI research, and he was working on um, autonomous vehicles. Uh, there, there's a video of him working. I mean, NVIDIA is known for their you know, PC GPUs and all that good stuff and Apple has in the past used NVIDIA products uh, but most people don't know that they also have a decent AI lab going on 
and uh, they're doing a lot of work in the self-driving vehicle space. So they, they created a, a, a GPU system that can process a whole bunch of imagery from onboard cameras and basically do what Tesla's uh, autopilot mode does on um, a variety of different vehicles. So they hired the guy who, one of the guys who was in charge of that operation, I think this month in October. So I don't know, suggests uh, something is in the works. Five years from now, Apple car self-driving you think i don't know five years is kind of soon i mean that's what people are saying but it, it seems a little too soon for a car i'm not sure though i mean if they partner with somebody sure if they partner with bmw or if they partner with fiat or whoever wants to do it then sure i mean they can roll it out they can roll it out maybe in a couple of years if they wanted to but I think they're going to take, um, they're going to wait and see what happens with Tesla, keep doing their own stuff on the side and uh, build up uh, a decent technical foundation. And, and then maybe we'll see a production uh, model. Okay, so Neil, you had something you wanted to say. <laughs> I just this is barely related, but I want to bring it up just because this is funny. So when you work in the field that we work in, you get a lot of emails from public relations people who have uh, so-called experts that they want to pimp oh, out to you. Yes. To, uh, <laughs> well, no, they don't comp- pimp them out. They want you to to would you please get on a call and take yeah, comments from? Yeah, they want to. So they're looking to promote some business, and so some person hires. Uh, a PR person to reach out to news organizations to get them to comment on stuff and stories. So, like, if you're looking for a source for a story. So, I got one today that made me laugh out loud. The, the email title was Could Self-Driving Cars Woo Millennials Back to the Traveling Sales Lifestyle? <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> wait, wait. Self-Driving Cars yes. are going to woo millennials. Yes. Lure them, as it were. Into traveling sales. Door-to-door vacuum salesman? I guess so. Tupperware sales are going to go through the roof once this takes off. Well, Tupperware was always parties. It was the door-to-door vacuum Kirby or Rainbow guy that was... Uh, so so you're, you're going to use the self-driving car to knock on a door and... Ma'am, may, may I sell you a Roomba? <laughs> I want to sell you a self-driving vacuum cleaner from my self-driving car? What, the, what, what are they thinking? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it was one of the weirdest pitches I've ever seen. I I uh, I could not believe that one. Well, we've we've talked before about whether or not millennials are interested in in actually bu- driving, getting driving licenses, or buying cars. Well, of course and, they are because they still have to drive a car. <laughs> well, I don't know. I was reading an article today online written by someone who who was a millennial who said that all of her friends were astounded and shocked that she actually purchased a car. Does she live that in San Francisco? No yeah. Or uh, no, anywhere D- DC with area. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> much better. Go. I'm going to guess much she's in a state better. where a lot of people didn't see the Steve Jobs movie. <laughs> Nicely done, Victor, sir. mistake number one on that one, reading an article written by a millennial. Uh, at, at some point, I'm not going to have a choice, right? I mean, I guess I'm technically a millennial. What's the cutoff point for a millennial? I don't relate to that generation at all. But. I'm I'm Gen X, yo. Yeah. Y'all do what you want. 
I think we're like right on the border. Yeah, I, I think I'm. I, I think I'm technically. They used to call us Gen Y, but we've been rebranded Millennials. <sighs> I think I do Gen not self-identify is, with that group. Is Gen Y still Gen Y, and Millennials come after Gen Y, or did you really get rebranded? No, I think it was rebranded. It was a rebranding. Yeah, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I uh, was I was told to join Instagram a few months ago, so I am on Instagram. You were um, on Instagram. I was not Dude, on what, Instagram. Interesting. What's, what's your uh, What's your name on Instagram? Uh, I'd rather I'd rather not give it out. Well, my Instagram is just a giant inside joke, and we're going to leave it that way. I was like five years late, six years late to Facebook. Uh, uh, anybody who's been to my Twitter account uh, knows that I don't tweet. Well, I mean, it, no, you, you, you just don't, don't like tweet, people. Actually. So, my my whole Facebook account is basically trolling everybody on Facebook. That's basically all I do on there. So, <laughs> I'm just a, uh, you are Walt Mossberg in. <laughs> you Walt- just call me Walt Mossberg. He did call you Walt Mossberg in a thirty uh, year old skin. <laughs> Mossberg. No, the difference is Walt Mossberg likes everything. No, he doesn't. Does he? He likes every Apple product. Has he ever written a bad review of an Apple product? He has. Which one? I, I can't recall, but I recall that uh, Steve Jobs threw a giant fit about it. It might have been... It might have been... Oh, yes. Yes, it was. iCloud, it was, right? Um, it, well, before it was called iCloud. Yeah, Mobile Me. Mobile Me. Mm-hmm. Because fr- the Steve Jobs quote at the time was, our friend Walt Mossberg is writing bad things about us because you people suck. <laughs> I don't know. See, it is possible. I remember when he threw away his uh, the first-gen Air. Do you remember that? He threw it away with... Uh, was that him or was that some USA Today guy? No, I thought that was, that was USA Today. No, and that was him. He, he threw it out with his with like He a threw pile it out with his papers. newspapers. Yeah. It's so because thin, Because it was guys. too light and thin. That's hilarious. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, he threw away the review unit. That's right. Could you imagine someone USA writing today. that today? Like, the new iPhone is so small, I accidentally flushed it down the toilet. Well, they're making the larger, you see, Neil. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's <laughs> just so reason. funny. I threw it out with my newspapers. Okay. Well, the, the whole thing about the original Air was that it fit inside the, uh, the manila, the manila envelope. envelope. Yeah. yeah. It didn't flex like a newspaper. Did yeah, it, it, it also fit inside your stack of dead trees and dying business model. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Prime material there. <laughs> hey, I used to work in a newspaper. Nothing but love. I, yeah. Sad. Well, this has gone off the rails. Totally. So, I, I want to talk once again about our sponsor, TopTal. Finding and hiring talent developers is hard. In addition to the months of searching and large piles of resumes and all this other stuff that goes along with cover letters that you have to contend with to find a reasonable candidate, it's really, really hard to evaluate a developer's skill unless you're already a developer. TopTal makes this easier. Large network of the top 3% of software developers in the world, and to be accepted, applicants must go through an intense screening process that tests for technical expertise, problem-solving ability, communication skills, and more. And they only accept 3% of everyone who applies. That's how discerning they are. TopTal's team of engineers meets with you to understand your needs and handpicks just a few developers from their network for you according to your needs. Once you interview a developer, you can start working with them on a full-time or part-time or hourly basis for as long as you need. They've been so successful with this that they offer a no-risk trial period for all engagements. If you're not satisfied, you don't pay. 
Thousands of companies, including Airbnb, JP Morgan, Zendesk, and more, have turned to TopTal when they needed the best developers, because TopTal allowed them to hire rapidly with confidence and only hire the best. Go to www.toptal.com slash podcast today to start working with top-tier developers at TopTal. Podcast listeners receive one week of TopTal development credit, in addition to a no-risk trial period up to two weeks. That's toptal.com slash podcast. Well, it wouldn't be an Apple Insider podcast without a discussion of someone's lawsuit. <sighs> I know, that was a lovely groan. Um, so, Wi-Fi Assist was a feature introduced in iOS 9. For, first of all, explain for, for everyone here, what does Wi-Fi Assist do as a feature? What's the point of it? Neil? Neil, you live in New York. You've got Wi-Fi all around you. What is Wi-Fi Assist supposed to do for you when everything works right? Well, Wi-Fi Assist is for, like, for example, if I'm walking down the street and my iPhone automatically connects to a AT&T retail store or a Starbucks or something like that, and it runs like crap, uh, I'm not stuck with my phone just not working. And so in theory, your phone will detect that you're on a weak Wi-Fi network, you have bad signal, whatever, and it will fall back on the LTE network, which is stronger and offers more regular connection. The problem with this is it's turned on by default in iOS 9 with no indication that this is on. And so people with uh, smaller data plans on their phone uh, may not if they don't understand the indicator in the top left where it shows Wi-Fi and then a little LTE next to it, they may not understand that they're actually using their mobile data plan. And so I guess some people had presumably bad Wi-Fi at home or something, and so their phone kept defaulting to LTE and then ended up going over on their uh, data plan. And now a class action lawsuit over this issue has been brought against Apple uh, claiming that this shouldn't have been on by default or they should have better explained it to consumers. So I'll use this opportunity right now to explain to everybody, if you don't want this feature on and you feel like it's not useful to you, open the settings app on your iPhone, open cellular, and then you have to scroll all the way down past all of your apps, which you can turn on and off for cellular. And at the bottom, right above reset statistics, you will see an option for Wi-Fi assist you can turn that off. It says automatically use cellular data when Wi-Fi connectivity is poor. So, you know, there are a lot of frivolous lawsuits that are filed, and certainly this one is easy enough to fix by flipping a switch. But to be fair to the people filing the lawsuit, not only is it not clear that this feature is turned on when you install iOS 9, but it is also buried in the settings to turn this off. There you have it. It's another tip from Managing Editor Neil Hughes. There you go. Yeah, awesome. I'm turning off all my. Uh, I'm force force closing all my apps right now. Oh, no, jeez. <laughs> force <Yes>. closing. <sighs> Don't even get started, man. So, so, how, how, what, what's this lawsuit? What's the claim? Like, how big is the group? What's the class? How, how, how many people think they've actually been damaged by this? Well, the 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 problem. So, we broke this story. I broke this story, right? Uh, I found the lawsuit. I wrote about it. I very clearly in the headline uh, said that the lawsuit accuses uh, Apple of this feature of burning through five million plus in data, meaning collectively of the class that, five million plus dollars. Dollars, correct. In data. In data. 
uh, overages with carriers and such. Uh, everyone else that picked up this story uh, said it's a $5 million lawsuit. They're seeking $5 million. Nobody bothered to read the story, but pff, welcome, to, welcome to the world we live in where people can't even read a headline properly. Um, it's those millennial journalists. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but uh, it was misreported everywhere. So the truth of it is they, for the purposes of jurisdiction and filing and all that, because it's a Florida couple that filed the lawsuit uh, and they filed it in a California court, uh, we're saying that they had the jurisdiction to do so because they believe that the class, once it is all included, uh, will account for more than $5 million total. They were not saying that they racked up a $5 million bill. <laughs> they were not saying that they want to be paid $5 million personally for the lawsuit. They were just saying that this is, they believe, big enough to have affected more than $5 million in total. Cool. What about the psychological damage of, uh, you know, getting Receiving a high bill without, well, I mean, they didn't know. The, I mean, the shock of opening your envelope and your bill is like at least $50 more than it was last, last month. That must be I, worth at, at $10 million, <laughs> 20 well, I don't know. Yeah. We've reached the end of another perfectly good Apple Insider podcast. Perfectly acceptable. Satisfactory. Cromulent. I'm your host, Victor. We've had with us Mikey. Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? At MikeyCampbell81 on the Twitters and on AppleInsider.com. Brilliant. And Neil, managing editor, where can people find you on Instagram? Uh, you can find me on Twitter if you'd like at this is Neil. I don't do any trolling there, so that's good. Um, and you can read me on Apple Insider, but uh, only if you're not a millennial. How dare you! <laughs> wow, cutting out half the listener base right there. I know, including myself. Yeah. Well, this has been the Apple Insider Podcast, and if Mikey cooks a Hot Pocket next week in the middle of the show, we'll be sure to let you know about it next week on the Apple Insider Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by RealtyShares. With RealtyShares, in just a few minutes, you can invest in professionally vetted real estate investments. Join thousands of other investors by registering at no cost at RealtyShares.com slash Apple Insider. Browse all the investments at no cost once you're qualified. Invest as little as $1,000 per transaction. Diversify your portfolio in minutes by visiting RealtyShares.com slash Apple Insider. RealtyShares has already returned over $10 million to investors to date. Visit RealtyShares.com slash Apple Insider.